0: And welcome to the Multiple Sclerosis Association of America's podcast, The Impact of Nutrition in Multiple Sclerosis. I am Peter Demiri, Vice President of Programs and Services for MSAA, and your host for today's program. I am honored to welcome our guest presenter, Dr. Olga Tone, to the program, who will be sharing with us her insights on this important topic. Dr. Tone is the Director of the Multiple Sclerosis and Immunology Center at Drexel University College of Medicine in Philadelphia. She is fellowship trained at Harvard, where she completed her residency in neurology and has a special interest in diet and MS. Dr. Tone, thank you so much for being here and giving us your time today.
1: Thank you, Peter, for having me here. Uh, this, this is a fantastic opportunity to talk a little bit about more about wellness and diet in multiple sclerosis, and I'm, I'm, I'm very honored to be here.
0: Great, well, thank you. So Dr. Tone, what intrigued you to get into this area of study with MS?
1: Uh, so we all have our personal history, right? So uh, for me, uh, when I, I I had a pretty normal weight up until uh, medical school and then probably as a uh, consequence of being sedentary <laughs> and <laughs> sitting down to read and study and not doing as much of the, you know, uh, exercise that I used to do before I used to uh, have much more time to run and dance uh, and the, what happened was that I became overweight in, uh, med- in my first couple of years of medical school. I have a very, very strong family history of diabetes, including my mother and other close relatives. And uh, as a medical student and starting being vigilant and mm-hmm. worried about things that could happen to me, I started looking for the literature. So what is out there from data telling us what could be helpful? And uh, first I tried... Uh, calorie restriction diet, and as that wasn't very sustainable for me in the longer term. Uh, when searching the literature, that's when I found a lot of good evidence about uh, both the uh, the restriction in carbohydrates, uh, so low carb diet, uh, low glycemic index, which we'll talk a little bit more about, and uh, and intermittent fasting. Uh, and I think even as you know, after medical school, when I chose neurology and the and uh then becoming a specialist in multiple sclerosis uh, it's it's so i'm i'm a woman in my 30s and my mid 30s and it's uh, my patients are usually exactly like me uh, the majority of them are are also uh, w- young women and they're typically very interested, not just in MS, but in their health in general and diets that could be helpful for them and helpful for their families. Uh, So I, again, went back to the literature in looking for things that could be uh, helpful for them. And and so this is what we're here to talk about today.
0: Uh, That's great. And it's just so important just in general, overall wellness. Exactly. As we mentioned, our topic today is nutrition and multiple sclerosis. Dr. Tone, can you touch on the overall concept of wellness and the importance it plays in managing a chronic condition such as multiple sclerosis?
1: Absolutely. So first, let's, let's define wellness. Uh, so usually, we're thinking of wellness as the uh, take your pills, go to your doctor, and uh, eat your vegetables and exercise. Uh, Maybe a little bit more than that is the emotional as well as psychological component of wellness and well-being. Uh, And it's hard to ignore that, especially when you see patients with chronic diseases such as multiple sclerosis presenting, and especially when they come to my office either with their first attack or with further relapses, mentioning that it happened during a period of stress in their lives when their children were having trouble at school or when they were having a tough time at work. And it's hard to start neglecting stress as maybe an important component of this. Uh, But as maybe a bigger category, the physical component of wellness, which is what we're going to be talking about today, uh, and specifically the diet, Uh, So as a whole, uh, the human body can have other diseases such as diabetes, hypertension, uh, high blood pressure, and uh, all of those disorders are highly impacted by diet, by what we eat.
0: Right, great overview, thank you. Yeah. The main focus of our conversation today will be diet and specific dietary advice you might give to your patients. How about we get started with supplements? Are there any vitamins or supplements that you suggest?
1: That, that's a question I get asked a lot in the office. Uh, so the, there's some supplements and specifically some vitamins that uh, do have some some good amount of data, good amount of evidence in the literature that can have some benefit in multiple sclerosis. The most obvious and most well talked about is vitamin D. Uh, there was a large study that was initially performed uh, in the Nordic population and specifically with Nordic nurses uh, who were very good subjects and very good at reporting uh, changes in the in their life. Uh, but in, within the study, what they found was that within those, those patients, the ones that had a history of multiple sclerosis seemed to be impacted by the level of vitamin D in their, in their bodies. Uh, so the ones not specifically a causational relationship, but the ones that had a higher level of vitamin D seem to have a lower incidence of relapses. Therefore, linking maybe a modulation of disease activity related to vitamin D. Uh, another supplement that I often get asked about is fish oil. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's somewhat conflicting evidence. Some studies have pointed to a good effect of omega-3, the main component of fish oil, that could have some uh, heart protective factors and specifically atherogenic, so preventing uh, fat to deposit in, in the blood vessels, not just in the heart but in other areas, like the big blood vessels that go up to the brain. Uh, and there are some other studies that haven't really showed that there is there seem to be any correlation uh i'll be honest with you that uh in the majority of 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 people if you if you eat enough fish and especially if you eat enough of the of the foods that contain that fish oil that is probably enough so not necessarily use it as a supplement but if that's not a part of your diet i don't think you're doing any harm to yourself
0: right right Uh,
1: Sometimes patients will ask me, what do you use? Uh, so to be honest, uh, the only two supplements that I do use are vitamin D and fish oil. So so uh, I, I won't delve into some of the other ones, but those, those seem to be the best. Uh, keep, it,
0: keep it simple.
1: Exactly. Uh, and then when you're talking about maybe some dietary supplements, like things like spices or things that you might be using to cook. So some of the most talked about uh, condiments in general that might have some effect in modulating inflammation are turmeric, garlic, uh Maybe flavonoids or things like uh, what what we find in dark chocolate uh, or red wine, for example, uh, that might have some some benefits in modulating inflammation in general, not just neuroinflammation, so disorders of the brain that have to do with it.
0: Chocolate and red wine, not bad. Sounds
1: pretty good to me too.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's talk about diets. I mean, there are so many different diets out there. Can you describe some of the different options and what is your recommendation for multiple sclerosis?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I think that 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 one of the main importances of this question is we get so much from social media nowadays, right? Sure. It, we're we're living in a time that it's not just reading your newspapers or watching something at T V at night, but we're constantly bombarded by even on a five minute break, pulling up Facebook or Instagram, and everyone has a friend that will swear by that a diet of eating, I don't know, only eggs for five days will cure from any any diseases. <laughs> so I think it's important to, to learning and to getting some good information coming not just from physicians, but from nutritionists. And uh, so that's a very good point of being here today. So I'll start maybe just some talking about some of those, of those most common diets that patients might hear about. Uh, so the low-fat diet. Uh, And I'll start with that just because for many years, and actually for many decades, uh, it has been one of the most recommended diets by by physicians. Uh, Specifically, many uh, physicians will recommend a diet consisting of no more than 10% uh, fat. And that largely comes from studies done in the 1950s uh, up to the 1970s uh, that have uh, linked the correlation of high cholesterol and specifically that high bad cholesterol, the LDL with heart disease. Uh, so it's it's hard to say that this is necessarily the culprit, especially with a higher body of evidence more recently that has been linking the carbohydrates. And I'll talk a little bit more about that when we delve into the low-carb diets, but uh, but I would be concerned about restricting the fats in the diet and one, the long-term ability to do that, uh, the the long-term sustainability of being on such a diet since uh, the fats fill you up and help you not feel hunger. uh, So it's a little bit more sustainable to have a higher content of fat. And also because so many vitamins such as the vitamin D get absorbed through fat. Hmm. Uh, So it might be a little harmful to restrict fats a little too much. Uh, another very common popular diet, especially for people that are trying to wait, to lose weight, is a calorie restriction diet. Uh, so it's it's hard to argue with the success that you can have if you limit the amount of calories. And uh, and again, I have nothing against, especially when you go to a nutritionist and they tailor that diet specifically for you. I am more concerned about when you're by yourself and you're Googling and you find some uh a website telling you to eat 500 calories a day and then you might be depriving yourself again from very important vitamins and nutrients uh, that your body needs to function. And let's remember, fat is what is used in myelin, right? That protective substance that we talk about so much in multiple sclerosis. Uh, The other thing that I get worried about is, again, the sustainability of such diets, such as calorie restriction. And there's many available studies in the literature uh, telling us that in the longer term, so after those studies are completed, after three or six months of calorie restriction, there's unfortunately a high percentage of patients that will then bounce back uh, Mm. That will regain some of that weight in the long run. Right, time.
0: hard to sustain that.
1: Exactly. Uh, then we start getting about some of those specific diets that will focus on either one type of food or the other. Uh, so let's maybe start in this category with the Paleolithic diet, uh, or maybe a different name that people might have heard more about within the MS community the Walls diet. Right. Uh, a protocol that was developed by Terry Walls, uh, another physician uh, who suffers from multiple sclerosis. And at the time that she was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis, she was having a very active course, uh, and she started searching uh, in the literature for things that could help her. And then she found a lot of a lot of uh, evidence about the paleolithic diet, which is basically uh, the idea that humans should be eating more like our ancient ancestors, uh, avoiding foods that are filled with com- condiments, things like processed foods, uh, or wheats that are, uh, again, processed Uh so going back to those uh, more healthy macronutrients, so focusing on protein and fat, uh, as well as other things that our ancestors would be eating. And, uh, and she actually had some very good results herself. Uh, uh, I'll be honest that I, I, I like this diet. I think it sounds like a very good idea and spe- specifically focusing on things that might modulate inflammation as well, like having a healthier contact of protein and fat and limiting the things that are processed.
0: Right, right
1: then we start talking about salt. Is limiting salt helpful for MS? This is one of those recent hot topics that are out there. Uh, So there are a couple studies. There's one uh, which is uh, uh, an evaluation of some clinical trials that were done with medications such as some of those older studies with the interference uh, and analyzing the amount of sodium that was within the diet. Uh, So when they compared patients that had a more active uh, relapsing course versus patients that didn't, they actually did not find much of a difference. But then more recent studies that were specifically focusing on sodium intake and following patients for as long as two years and then trying to correlate the periods of higher disease activity actually found that there was a threefold fold uh, higher amount of sodium uh, within their urine when they were having a more active time of, of relapses.
0: Really? Yeah. Well, so, over- over, over that three-year period
1: exactly uh, so it's it's still we still don't have enough data and again those studies need to be reproduced and we need longer term data right uh but I my my personal and there are ongoing clinical trials about uh, salt intake and specifically limiting or not limiting the salt intake in the diet so not just uh, measuring but actually intervening on the amount of sodium the patients take that are being done currently in some very res- respectable institutions uh, i would say that on the on the heart and blood pressure perspective it's uh, it's only helpful to limit the salt intake to to healthy amounts, so ideally not you know pouring salt on top of your plate after it's <laughs> sure, done. <laughs> uh, and this is one of those things that is probably just a matter of getting your palate used to it, right? Such as not adding sugar to your coffee. After doing it for a little while, it just becomes normal for you, right? then we start getting uh, into some of those uh, variations of limiting carbs. So things like the ketogenic diet, uh, or you might have heard about it as the Benton diet. Mm -hmm. Uh, So the ketogenic diet focuses on limiting the exogenous, so the, 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 the exogenous sugar that you add to your body. So not the sugar that your body will produce, such as from converting fat into sugar, but the sugar That you will be eating. Uh, And then, as a consequence of that, since you're eating less sugar, it's a higher amount of fat and typically a higher amount of protein within your diet. Uh, So, there has been a lot of popularity of the ketogenic diet more recently, and there's actually some really good studies in mouse models. uh, MS patients might have heard about this, the mouse model for multiple sclerosis, the EAE, mm-hmm. uh, and showing that mice that had a uh, ke- that were exposed to a ketogenic diet uh, actually had less evidence of inflammation within their brain and spinal cord, uh, which is pretty amazing.
0: Yeah,
1: uh, There was recently a study that was done about the safety of ketogenic diet uh, within MS patient uh, MS patients, and it was a pilot study. So basically a small population of patients and they're just trying to make sure they were not causing Harm, right. right. When we change their sure. diet, like we're not going to make their disease more active. And when this group followed uh, patients for uh, six months on a ketogenic diet, they did not see any evidence of increased disease activity or anything else harmful. So now the next step, which is something that I'm particularly very interested at, is looking at the long term uh, effects of uh, low carbohydrate diet in patients with multiple sclerosis and potentially regulating uh, not just things like fatigue, uh, but also disease activity. Uh so since we talked about fatigue, so one thing that is very talked about within those studies of ketogenic diet, not just for MS, but for for humans in general, <laughs> is that uh, when you eat a higher content of fat, and specifically when you limit the amount of carbohydrates, you feel a boost of energy. So there's a few extreme versions of that, which is putting butter in your coffee, which I, I won't personally recommend. <laughs> it sounds pretty disgusting to me, to be honest. But... Uh, but limiting the carbohydrates. Uh, you might have noticed that after you eat a big plate of pasta, you feel drowsy and feel right. like you feel like you could just go straight to the couch. Uh, so it's, it, it, it might be helpful to limit, even not just focusing on modulating the disease, but just on uh, limiting those poor effects of fatigue. There's also a strong body of evidence that a uh, ketogenic diet, not just in the safety of MS, but in the longer term, uh, decreasing the amount of carbohydrate might be healthier for you. Uh, and specifically when you're talking about, so what? what is this sugar that is coming in? Uh, so the sugar when you eat specifically, uh, and I'm gonna introduce some words that, and and I don't mean to make this complicated, but the the foods that have a higher contact of sugar, such as processed sh- refined sugar, right, a cake, uh, or uh, any any th- pasta, mm-hmm. bread, uh, things that will have a higher what we call uh, glycemic index, so much more sugar within each product. As soon as you eat that, you have a spike of insulin. And as soon as you have that spike of insulin, which is basically the hormone that is controlling the amount of sugar that can stay within the blood circulation, uh, that that sends the message to your body that it's time to store the sugar. Now, we have no way of storing sugar itself. Hmm. Uh, You can store very small amounts of it uh, in the liver, but other than that, the rest of it needs to be converted in fat. And that is the fat that is going to go to different parts of the body and specifically the fat that is going to go around some of those organs that you have in your belly. And that that visceral fat is the one that is going to cause a lot of harm. So things like uh, go to your coronaries, uh, Mm. go and and be associated with heart disease as well as stroke in the longer term. Uh, So decreasing the amount of sugar uh, will likely have a good effect not just in mass, but decreasing the amount of sugar in general uh, will likely be healthier.
0: And that's the, the processed sugar you mentioned.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Uh, so the, the, Eating it from things like uh, fruits, and obviously here I'm no longer I'm taking a little caveat, and no longer just talking about the ketogenic diet, where there might be a higher limitation of those exogenous sugar, but just thinking of a low carb diet, so things like fruits, uh, they also have a higher amount of fiber, right? So while an apple does have a lot of a lot of glucose on it, a Mm -hmm. lot of sugar, it also has a lot of fiber. So how slowly you absorb all of this sugar is also have a higher uh, a not as much as of, of a bad effect. And then you're also getting a lot of the good vitamins and, and good right, things that right. comes the from fruits. Come exactly, along, yes. yeah. Uh, then we start talking about variations of this, such as the Atkins diet, which is basically a, a low carb, just not as extreme as the ketogenic diet. Uh, the gluten-free diet, uh, which might have some of those benefits of a low carb diet, but I confess then I think I start the same thoughts that I have with the ketogenic diet of maybe being a little too extreme in the limitations. Uh, the gluten free may not be necessary uh, for patients with multiple sclerosis unless you actually have celiac disease or, or a, an actual uh, disorder. That might that that might be better for you to limit the amount of wheat. Sure. Lactose free diet, uh, and then I start delving into the same uh, concerns that I have with uh, with with diets that limit the fat, uh, for example, that you're depriving yourself entirely from something and, uh, and that may not be healthy. But may not be healthy. Uh, so lactose-free diet, I would specifically be concerned about uh, the, the, the difficulty. See if you're not drinking milk, uh, then decreasing the amount of calcium or vitamin D, which are important for uh, not just for bone health, but, uh, but for MS as well. Uh, intermittent fasting. There has been a lot of good attention to intermittent fasting recently, uh, and uh, there's ongoing studies both at uh, WashU as well as Hopkins uh, with clinical trials of intermittent fasting. And those are again following the the initial results from basic science. So looking at mice that uh, have that model for multiple sclerosis mm-hmm. that I mentioned, and when they were. Uh, When they were exposed to intermittent fasting, they also had uh, some pretty good results uh, with limiting the amount of disease activity. Uh, And I'm going to finish talking about the Mediterranean diet, which is another variation of that low-carb diet. So limiting how much exogenous sugar you're giving to your body from breads and pasta but not just that. But adding things like olive oil and garlic and those flavonoids that we were talking about before, that might have some good uh, modulatory effect effects on inflammation. Uh, I'm I'm a fan of the Mediterranean diet. Uh, we don't have any any results currently on multiple sclerosis, but in when we're talking about diseases like diabetes or uh, high blood pressure or when we pull all of those together and call them metabolic disorder, mm-hmm. uh, which is endemic in the United States, a higher percentage of us have it, uh, then th- there has been some really good studies that Mediterranean diet in the longer term since seems, seems to have a, a good effect in controlling diabetes and high blood pressure. Uh, so, so I'm particularly a fan of that. Within the neurology world, uh, so Alzheimer's, Seems to, and dementia in general seems to benefit from a Mediterranean diet. Mm. Uh, so specifically, there was a recent paper published in Neurology uh, that showed in 2018 that showed that uh, adults from 30 to 60 years uh, old had better volume measurements of their brains uh, once the, the within the ones that were uh, that were following a Mediterranean diet. Interesting. Uh, I know, right? We are all interested in in the ability of keeping our brains the way they are. So sure, anything sure. And, that might and, help.
0: <laughs> and certainly, in the in the range of neurologic disorders, it probably has cross purposes as well.
1: Exactly, exactly, and it's the, like just like the points that we were making in the beginning, uh, that. It's a one human, right? You, you sure. can't just treat the multiple sclerosis. You have to focus on things. If the patient has diabetes, what are the other things that might be uh, helpful uh, or harmful once you start making changes in not just their medications, but their diet? And we can't ignore the fact that a lot of our patients, especially as they age, they will also be exposed to things like dementia, uh, and spe- especially when we're talking about a, disease- a chronic disease like multiple sclerosis that in the longer term will typically have cognitive effects. Sure. Uh, then, then we have to take into consideration uh, the, the diet as well as, uh, as prevention.
0: Right, right. Well, wow, that was quite a lot, uh, You covered <laughs> quite a lot of diets and options. So when people come in and, and see you and you review this information, uh, what do you generally recommend to your patients?
1: Right, so I think based on all the data, everything that we see in the literature, right? And that, that's the first thing that we wanna do, use the good information that is out there. Uh, I would say a low carbohydrate diet, uh, but not completely limiting the carbohydrates, but a low carbohydrate diet that is also rich in uh, protein and fat uh, and all those things that we see from the Mediterranean diet, like olive oil and flavonoids. uh, So a healthy amount of red wine and chocolates, like we mentioned before, (laughs) uh, and things like garlic or turmeric uh, can seem to only be helpful. Uh, and why we don't have, it's hard to make interventional studies in which you change people's diets completely. And since you're not there every day to control what is it that they're eating, but those are the things that seem to have a stronger evidence of, of healthiness in the longer term, not just for multiple sclerosis, but in general.
0: Right. Great, great advice, great information. Uh, since we had opened up and talked about wellness in the beginning, uh, can you ta- comment on smoking, exercise, and other lifestyle changes?
1: Absolutely. Uh, so like we were talking before with uh, with considering the other diseases, so specifically smoking seems to be extremely harmful in multiple sclerosis. Think of it as a double hit uh, effect. So if you already have multiple sclerosis and parts of your brain, such as those connections, right, those cables that are taking the message from one place to the other, which is where the white matter is, protecting this message from going one place to the other. When you smoke in the longer term, uh, just like high blood pressure, start stiffening some of the blood vessels that are supplying the nutrients to those areas that connect things in the brain, and once you start, then the smoking in the longer term can cause disease in the white matter that can look very, very similar to multiple sclerosis. Mm, and there's irrefutable data out there showing that for patients with multiple sclerosis and smoking, they do they have a worse prognosis. So they do worse in the longer term, not just with cognition, but with motor and several other um, me- measurements. Right. Uh, so exercise and a lot of time those things will come together right you get we sure. re- you get well humans you get really excited about your diet and you want to change other things that are only good in your life so so exercise will typically come along so there's studies showing that even as little as uh, 30 minutes of brisk walking uh, three times a week, so a minimal amount of exercise, I'm not talking about doing high intensity or biking, or right, you know right. things that are also great for you, but not even that much. So even as little as 30 minutes of brisk walking on a treadmill three times a week uh, can have extremely good effects, not just on motor aspect, but also cognition and vision. Interesting. So, my suggestion would be that any kind of exercise that suits you, any, if it is uh, walking or walking your dog or biking, uh, any of those things will help you. Uh, so, I, I run with my dog every morning <laughs> on the Shkyuko, uh River, uh, banks, and if... Uh, If you go there probably around 6.30, you're probably going to (laughs) bump into me. And uh, sometimes I'll do it for 10 minutes, but it's literally whatever your life can allow it and and, you know uh, making things that are compatible with your lifestyle. So if you get home from work and you're extremely tired, that may not be the best time of the day to do it, but then waking up a little earlier uh, might do it, might give you that extra time uh, throughout the day.
0: And we have a lot of patients that call us and talk about aquatic exercise and find that very helpful.
1: Yeah, Absolutely, yeah.
0: Gives them that range of motion yeah. in the pool and the buoyance in the cool water. It that yeah. seems very helpful.
1: Yeah, I, I completely agree. It is low impact, so it's not going to to have any harmful effects on your joints in the longer term. And again, it gives you that that amount of exercise and as well as as the pleasure, right? It's very uh, it's fun yeah. uh, to do yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, Sometimes I get questions about coffee Ah. Uh, So uh, in preparing for this podcast I was getting into the literature To see if there's any evidence of coffee and MS And I'm surprised to say That there's not much out there Ah, And uh, the, the... it, it's hard to think about coffee and not think about the effects that it can have on things that happen to our patients on a daily basis, right? So specifically if you have uh, bladder symptoms, if you have uh, urinary urgency or incontinence, then coffee might not be the best option for you right because you will it uh, will probably increase the amount uh, of urinary your urinary frequency, the number of times you need to go to the bathroom. Mm-hmm. to pee. But if you don't have that, and let's say that you're starting to experience some memory issues, then coffee or fatigue, for example, then coffee might be helpful. Uh, so I would say that, that just modulating those things based on your particular needs. And maybe, who knows, within the longer term, we'll know a little bit more about right, the facts. Right, right. And I
0: guess everything in moderation.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Well, Dr. Tone, you provided such great information, a lot of helpful insights today, As we wrap up our program, we want to make sure we provide the audience with some key takeaways and any helpful resources that you could suggest.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I think number one, talk to your doctor and talk to and your doctor might also be a good connection of like a nutritionist or someone else. Don't make any any big changes before consulting with the healthcare providers that that are helping you. They are your ally. They are not there to say you know a strict no or a strict yes. They would just provide you with good information. Uh, specifically, so when I was talking about supplements, I get concerned about things that it might be buying from not-so-trustworthy place on the web. On, the, on the web Exactly, yeah. and you might sometimes have a few components in there that uh, I would say if you can't read the name, there's a, a good chance that it may not be good for you. <laughs> uh, so, you know, don't hesitate into either sending that link to your doctor or bringing the bottle if you already have it. I've, I've had patients doing that, and sometimes I'll read the components and I say, you know, it doesn't look very harmful, Worst case scenario, just paying a little too much for it, it's just going to go out in the urine.
0: <laughs> right, right. But,
1: uh, but it's always good to check. Specifically, if you have, obviously, the, the intent of the advice here is to provide good information in general, not particular to any individual. So specifically, if you have celiac disease, diabetes, you should always be consulting with your physician, not just with your neurologist, but if you're a primary care physician to make those decisions. right. And third, the unbelievable amount of helpful resources from institutions like the MSAA. Uh, so this today is a good example of that, right? Connecting the sure. information that the, the patients want to know, right? What the people want, which is uh, advice about diet, uh, and in this case, exercise as well. But connecting the patients with the, with the information that is out there, uh, as well as the ability to connect patients with patients and patients with, uh, with other helpful resources.
0: I want to go back to a point you mentioned earlier about talking with your doctor about vitamins or supplements. Do you find patients are reluctant to mention this information to you?
1: Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, This is such a good question. Uh, So... Uh, I think a lot of times patient will, patients will feel like they are almost being judged by their doctors, right? They don't want to ask the wrong questions. They don't want to seem like they are about to do the wrong thing. So they rather just go to the internet or go to their friends instead of asking their physicians. So don't be afraid. We are people right. just like you right. are. And uh, <laughs> I also sometimes will Google things that may or may not be helpful for me. So uh Ask, ask your physicians, because when you're going, specifically when you're going to an MS specialist, it is someone that just like you is also interested in MS and is going to provide you some helpful information. And you know, sometimes the answer will be, I don't know. There's not enough data out there to say if it's, if it can be helpful for you. But what we can most of the times help answer is, is it going to be harmful, right? Is there any ingredient there that could not be good for me and could cause, let's say kidney or liver damage? Uh, which is the last thing that we want to do.
0: Sure. So you both want to be on the same page, want to be informed and not be afraid to share that information. Exactly. Well, again, great advice. And we really appreciate that all you've shared with us today. So this concludes our podcast, The Impact of Nutrition in Multiple Sclerosis. On behalf of the Multiple Sclerosis Association of America, I would like to thank Dr. Olga Tone for sharing her insights on this very important topic. I would also like to thank Radwell House Recording for hosting us today and producing the program and our funding partners, Celgene and Novartis for supporting this podcast, as well as additional programs, spotlighting MS and the family. This podcast, along with additional information on multiple sclerosis can be found on MSAA's website at mymsaa.org. Once again, thank you so much for joining us.